On today's show, free agency is basically done. We're getting towards the start of the season. So which of the weaknesses that we think the Cavs had at the end of last year do they still have now? We're going to talk about three of them on today's show. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damrell. We're the Lockdown Cast Podcast. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always, for producing. And thanks for making us your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, rebounding. Uh, that's going to be one thing we talk about today. That'll be segment one coming up in segment two. We're going to look at wing defense. What is the Cleveland's answer for some of the league's apex predators? And then segment three, do they have enough shooting? They added Struits, they added Niang. They have Sam Merrill, too, who can really shoot it. But do they have enough? Do, did they go out and kind of solve a big issue? But Evan, I want, let's start with the rebounding, because when I think back to the end of last season, the defining thing for me is that the Cavs got absolutely punked on the glass against the New York Knicks. Yeah, as Jared Allen said, the lights were too bright for them. And Mitchell Robinson certainly made it a lot easier when he made it pretty clear. There, He was in the Cavs' bigs head. I think the fact that the Cavs like had no answer to Josh Hart, who just has a weird nose for grabbing offensive rebounds, but the fact like they just didn't find a way to stymie that or just limiting second chance opportunities it is staggering considering the Cavs play two seven footers that they allowed so many second chance opportunities but I know what the question is for this segment I don't know if they exactly addressed it but I think this limiting second chance opportunities might be a 50-50 gamble the Cavs are willing to take in the opportunity that like let's say Jared Allen and Evan Mobley come back bigger and stronger this upcoming season like they're not going to be like absolutely jacked like just massive massive but like more toned and more muscled up a little bit just to handle a little bit of that physicality and also we talked about him in monday show uh this is where damian jones might become like a little bit of like a factor too because you have a younger big who could at least help try to mitigate some of those second chance opportunities if one of your guys is in foul trouble injury problems or just maybe you need some type of answer from a guy off the bench the rebounding thing to me is like they didn't like go out and get like a re they didn't like add like a center that has like a re- rebounding profile that's going to play a lot, right? Or they didn't try to get Josh Hart to leave the Knicks. Well, I don't think that would yeah, that villain uh, look. No, no, was, if that was if that was even like a possibility it it wasn't of course because as soon as they got Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart and yeah. Jalen Brunson already there like it's it's the Nova it's the Nova Knicks so um <sighs> yeah the Nova Knicks shots to them that their Twitter their Twitter interactions are very funny to me um it's like the only thing I enjoy about Twitter at the, or any social media really at this current moment um Like, and Niang is, so Niang is, like, interesting because he's going to play some four. His rebounding numbers are not, like, his rebounding numbers aren't good, 
but it's he's like not, he's he's not athletic. He just doesn't have the verticality to kind of get up and well, like gobble up glass. So, but but also think about who he played with. He played with Rudy Gobert, who gobbles a bunch of rebounds, and he played with Joel Embiid, who gobbles up a bunch of rebounds. I'm the the thing I'm gonna watch with him to see if there is like a benefit of their improved rebounding, and I'll be curious to see. I, I I'm putting this in. I'm gonna ask JB Bakersev about this at uh, media day and ask Ning about this maybe himself at media day. Is he like a good box out guy that will like at least help the process of rebounding, even if he's not himself sticking a bunch of grabbing a bunch of rebounds and and ending possessions that way? The real answer to this question is like, can Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, particularly Evan Mobley, get more physical and take a step forward on the glass and really dominate things in that way? Are there other things you could do? But Niang, more so than like Dean Wade, who's also kind of a light rebounder, much less so than like a Kevin Love, who was a really good rebounder and helped them. Uh, does Niang at least like box his guy out and allow for the big to have an easier time to get a rebound? I, I that to me is like I wonder if that works, but like they don't have there's not a change on this roster that's gonna like fix this. It's gonna come no. down to Mobley and it's come down to Jared Allen. Yeah, and it's Evan Mobley. Like Isaiah Mobley's not super athletic either. And let's we we talked about this on Monday show too. Like the Cavs possibly bringing Isaiah Mobley into the fold if he kind of shows he's more NBA ready. I think like that's a body that could like similar to Niang like box out and just kind of at least provide the size to limit some of those second chance opportunities. But like, you're not going to be expecting Isaiah Mobley to crash the glass unless they're playing the, sum- the, the summer league Houston Rockets in the championship game and the Rockets don't start an actual center on the roster. Then you see Isaiah Mobley come alive on the glass, but <sighs> it's going to be interesting to watch. Cause like you said, like it, it was an issue against New York, but I think you do you have to say like, yeah, it's, some of it is internal development and maybe just like you're big, at least in terms of Evan Mobley came back bigger and stronger, but he wasn't big and strong enough. And I know people were running that meme into the ground of Mobley, like starting to invest in his body and he has like a home gym and everything. And he's apparently been in Cleveland for a quite a little bit this summer, just like getting working at the practice facility or at home with Cavs trainers. But you have to think about that and just say eh, it's also just the nature of the beast like big man isn't like a super pressing need and maybe it's also just like a weird anomaly too like the knicks just beat up the Cavs, and the Cavs are like okay that's just the new york knicks that's not all 30 or all 29 other teams in the nba would you i'm gonna pull up the numbers and reading last year in this before but are, do you do you think um do you think this, this this is something to you that lingers? Like, do you think this is something for you that when you look at the the Cavs at the rebounding issue, do you do you find this something that you think is really going to linger over how you watch this team, um, come this upcoming season? I think it's something for to me, watch for sure. For me, I think it, like yeah, I think it does for me. It's not like overwhelmingly pressing. You're like, oh my god, we have to like keep an eye on this all. Um, off season long or like right beginning of the regular season long but like it was a narrative it was a storyline like the Cavs were bullied um on the glass uh in the playoffs against new york like that's going to be the narrative no matter what and you kind of have to just pay attention to that as things unfold and if the Cavs are still getting bullied you're like okay maybe it is time to warm up the idea of like flipping jared allen and playing evan mobley and like ignoring the second chance opportunities and lead more into offense or it doesn't become that big of an issue because Allen comes back a little bit stronger because I just don't think he's going to add much more to his frame he might bulk up a little bit more but like I don't think he's going to get much bulkier but 
it was a it was a learning experience for the young Cavs when they had to just get their butts kicked by the Knicks on a pretty much night to night basis. Uh, they had last year the twentieth ranked uh, allowance of of offensive rebounds, twenty seven point one of possible missed shots were offensive rebound in the opposing team. That's the second year in or third year in a row, excuse me, that they've been around eighteen to twenty. So this is like a multi year. Weakness, obviously, that extends. Um, that's going to extend some of the, you know, that's going to extend. That extends beyond like Evan Mobley's career, obviously, because that's he's only been in the league two two full seasons. This just hasn't been a good rebounding team. Um, I am hopeful if I'm them that they have Evan Mobley take like a step forward because I think that's the answer that's also going to be my answer Evan for segment two is a bit of a tease but it's like I think if Evan Mobley like levels up and becomes like a rebounding monster to some degree particularly in those lineups at the five where he got killed on the glass and they they, as a team got killed on the glass there's there's your win there's your path to to some of this getting figured out yeah I, I agree like that that's more or less the path for the cast figuring this out is like, what does Evan Mobley provide you in terms of just like second? Does he become like really sneaky good on second chance opportunities to kind of give opposing teams like the, or just at least New York a taste of the medicine because Allen can kind of be the guy who gets boxed out, but Mobley's able to snake past maybe like a smaller four because the NBA is trending towards small ball while the Cavs stand firm and play big. Like Mobley is a bit of a catalyst in this, and I'm interested to see how he evolves because we, we talk about this every so often during the off seasons. Like what is Evan Mobley's evolution going to look like? And it's interesting to see because it's been reported by Chris Feed or that the Cavs view Mobley more as like their long-term answer at the five. Like, do we see that type of evolution from Evan Mobley or do we see like a guy who is comfortable playing the five, but he's more of a four, like in that Anthony Davis vein where like he prefers to play the four, um, but he's better off at the five. Like there's a lot of ways that Cleveland could explore a lot of this stuff. Coming up next, wing defense. We're going to talk about if the Cavs with Max Truth at the three have real options to defend Apex Predators. We'll talk about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. And if you go play now, you pick all you got to do to play is pick two to six entries. And if they score more or less than our Prize Picks projections, you can win up to 10 times your, excuse me, 25 times your money at Prize Picks. I mean, how great is that? And look, they have everything over at Prize Picks. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus those projections available. And they offer projections on any sport you watch. NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, NASCAR, tennis, esports, MMA, boxing, disc disc golf, Eurobasket, cricket, and more. It's a lot of freaking sports. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals. Currently operational over 30 states. And Canada, download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks for making Lockdown Cavs your first listening to today. Back tomorrow with more daily Cavs coverage. All right. Uh, wing defense. Evan, here's the answer to this. It's not Max Struess who's going to start at the three and will def- defend some wings, I think, and, and have to. It's not Okoro, who I don't think is going to have more than a 15 to 20 minute per game role in this team. It's not Karis Levert. We know what that looks like. 
The answer, I think, is Evan Mobley. I, I think this is this is maybe the most drastic solution, but in partic- when he's playing with Jared Allen on the floor and they roll out a starting five or any lineup with those two guys on the floor together, or heck, him and Damian Jones maybe, or him and I, him and his brother Isaiah, mm-hmm. I think you might just see Evan Mobley defending Jason Tatum, defending Kevin Durant, defending pick your your Jimmy Butler, which we saw them do last year. He's going to be defending the the wing creator du jour, the wing creator that they play on a night-to-night basis. I think that's the answer to this. He's their best answer to defend these apex monsters, apex predators around the league. I, yeah, he's going to be a bit of an X factor in that regard, just because like, and my, my question is just for Evan Mobley, like how comfortable is he with the Cavs asking him to just keep doing more and more and more for them? Like, I, I think he will say like, yeah, I'm comfortable. Like I'll do whatever is expected of me for this team. But like, that is a lot to ask a dude like, Hey, we need you to provide scoring, uh, defense all over the floor rebounding um playmaking uh maybe some shooting touch if you happen to find that all of a sudden too like there's gonna be a lot that's asked of evan mobley and are his shoulders strong enough and are they big enough to kind of shoulder that responsibility and the expectations that come with a guy who is at least in line to be the franchise cornerstone and like the guy for the franchise too like the, the Cavs have handled his development at times with kid gloves they brought him along slowly i think them keeping jared allen surprise some people uh and when they had they drafted Mobley in the first place but like having Allen has been a bit of a luxury for Evan Mobley's development has allowed him to develop a lot of different unique things and just in terms of what he is defensively and maybe that rebounding stuff could be like a little bit of a difference maker especially if like the shot isn't quite there or the handle slash dribble is a work in progress still a little bit but that that is more of like a direct way that he can make an impact right away for the Cavs, just because that's just kind of how he functions as a dude. Um, and I think that's at least endearing enough in terms of what he is as a player. I think that this is this is the kind of thing that's the evolution for him on defense. We've talked a lot, and we'll talk a lot more about his evolution on offense, the shot, the handle, like whatever that's going to look like. Strength is obviously a part of this as well. I think like his his path to being someone that maybe could win defensive player of the year next year. I haven't looked at the odds. I don't think they have odds up yet for that on, on FanDuel. Um, but, I th- you know, he finished top three last year. I think one of the ways he could be someone that we look at as one of the best defender in the league or one of the best three defenders in the league or something like that is some of the on-ball stuff. I think if he does some of that more traditional, like, wing-stopper stuff and he has games against Jimmy Butler, against LeBron, against Durant, against... You know, so I it, I don't think it's going to be like a Booker type creator. It's going to be like the yeah. or a, a Jalen Brunson. It's going to be your your big wings, a Jason Tatum. I think those kind of performances on big stages in the playoffs, perhaps. I think that's where like we see the Mobley defensive reputation go to, from it being already really high to like just to the moon, right? Like we're like just nuke it if if that's if that's where it's going to go, and he does that stuff at a yeah. high level. And it'll be interesting just because. Mobley can be a creator on offense, sure. We've seen him with the playmaking chops and things like that, but he can be a creator on defense too, where he limits second chance opportunities or he uh, obviously makes differences with the blocking and just some of the uh, defensive stoppage he does in general too. And to flip back to your point, like that could be the difference maker too in him winning defensive player of the year. Like right now, in terms of futures on FanDuel, uh, he has the third best odds behind. Jaron Jackson Jr., who's the favorite okay. at plus 500. Giannis Kumpo is the second favorite at plus 650. And then Evan Mobley is in third at plus 800. So 
if he becomes a bit of like a playmaker or just like a difference maker more than he already is on defense, like those could vault his odds to being considered. I mean, arguably he already is, but like really just ferment, solidify rather his status as defensive player or the best defensive player rather in the league. Is there a, is there a, is, do you have any concern structurally with him maybe being someone who could def- be the wing defender guy? Is there like anything that concerns you about him getting pushed that way? Not necessarily, just because he's already shown such a willingness to do it. I think the fact that, like, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, like, I, I tracked for the longest time, and I kind of stopped tracking it after the season ended. But, like, he was one of the best isolation defenders in the league last season. Like, a lot of teams, you started to notice, like, once they figured out, like, okay, Mobley is very comfortable defending guards or wings or guys on the perimeter. He's not, like, a traditional guard in that, or big in that sense where he's more than capable of defending in isolation. and. Uh, defending guys that are probably smaller, faster, and could probably try to get by him if they want to. And then you really started to notice, like, teams flipped a lot of their offensive scripts to make sure they avoided Evan Mobley as much as possible just because he does strike fear in the heart of opposing offenses at times just because he is such a cerebral player, and I think he can read NBA offenses so well that he can just be a disruptor and just really shake things up for Cleveland in that way. And that that's the luxury of having Jared Allen is you don't have to have Mobley just like protect the paint on top of everything else. Like you can have him do all the Evan Mobley stuff as Allen provides that anchorage on down low and in the paint. And it, it it's a path that he's kind of heading on just from his natural development because keeping Allen let Mobley develop at his own pace and kind of just learn what he's comfortable with at the NBA level and I would not be surprised to see him be like not the point of attack defender, but like yeah, he's not gonna like that. But like he's going to look very comfortable, I'd say, this upcoming season defending guys on the perimeter if like he's asked to, like, and he'll step up to it and do what he can to uh, help the team win. And if it's not perfect, I at least feel comfortable in saying like Mobley's gonna keep working on it so that he does become comfortable with it. I am going to at some point go back and rewatch that Miami game where he defended Butler a lot and see what that looks like. I'm pretty fascinated by by what that looked like and what that tells us. Um, mm-hmm. Curious. I'm just that that to me is like the one shining example of this in my head. So I think it's going to be worth to to go it's, back in. It's and, a and good litmus into. test of what um, Mobley could be because because Jimmy is a dog and a guy who's very willing. to test opposing defenders in so many different ways it's that and um you know they, they had that zone the 3-2 zone where he was at the top of it they ran a lot of it as a rookie and i don't think they like ran it at all last year um and Which I'm, is that's another thing interesting because it was super effective yeah i don't know if that's like a personnel thing and like they didn't feel like they had they were big enough maybe they try that again this year i'm, I'm curious if that comes back to you and if that's a thing that really works and it's because of mobley and it will be if it works um curious to see where this where this goes for a minute all right coming up next do they have enough shooting let's we'll talk about that right after this all right evan the Cavs add max struce they add george niang they have donovan mitchell they still have dean wade they still have uh darius garland who we haven't talked about in two episodes and that feels like completely an oversight to some degree I ask you this: Do the Cavs now have enough shooting? Did they did they add enough shooting, where you're like, all right, they 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 have solved one of the biggest holes on this roster going into next season? 
I wouldn't say it's completely solved, uh, but it certainly makes life a lot easier. Like the Cavs were trending in the direction of being like somewhat similar to what Donovan Mitchell was used to with the Jazz, where they are fairly solid on defense and they're just both one of the top teams in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency and rating. But you saw it just go off a cliff in the playoffs because it turned into a lot of, okay, we need one of Darius or Donovan to do something for us to get the offense going. And you saw it in game two. I think you saw Mitchell react to New York's defense and them focusing on him versus Garland and Garland just playing really well off ball and them stretching out New York's defense and then in turn giving Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and I guess Isaac Okoro more room to breathe on the inside as well. So that that's the, that's a good approach. But I think just like adding Struess, adding Yang, even adding Ty Jerome, like both three, like pretty clear shooters uh, in their own, like that, that is their best skill that they're going to be providing to the Cavs when they do play for Cleveland. Um, it, it makes life easier for the two guards that are going to be like just commanding the line shares, the shot opportunities out on the perimeter. But like, I talked about this just with like Isaac Okoro and why at least Struess is penciled in for me is, at the starting three spot is because Struess can be that safety valve where he is very comfortable playing off movement, off screens, off ball, and will read and react to opposing defenses, at least what the Cavs do offensively, to get open and get those easy shot opportunities when Mitchell or Garland's getting flustered or getting maybe a little bit of extra defensive attention, or ditto for Allen or Mobley, who are maybe getting a double down low or something like that. Like he's a kick out option and he's a guy who can stretch out the defense and then in turn keep the defense honest where like they can't just keep just bullying one of Mitchell or Garland every single possession and just kill the entire offensive flow. I I tend to think that they are close to having enough for this version like of this version of the roster. I think gave now shoehorned in the right amount of shooters that they a could afford it'd be that, like, fit what they need. Like, Struess is not going to be, like, a great defender, but he's going to be competitive. He's not going to get totally hunted, right? Like, I think that's someone who I think is going to hold up and be really good and, and is going to be good mm-hmm. enough and solid. He's going to be one of the highest-volume catch-and-shoot players in the league. I think Niang is similar, a little di- a little different type of shooter, but a- another guy who's just going to hoist him. I think those two guys with some of their defensive liabilities baked in, it's, like, enough for what I think this roster is if you go a jared Mm -hmm. allen trade what you get back in that do you get a shooting five back do you get another wing shooter in return like what are you going to that evolution i think would be the the question that feels like it's now a year from now six months from now whatever that's going to be like is there is Mm -hmm. there something there that makes sense the other part of this is and i I don't know i don't think he's going to be a regular rotation guy obviously i don't even like we'll see if he ends up sticking on the roster because he's got a non-guarantee but it, like when they signed someone last year to add to the end of the roster to hold over, they went after Sam Merrill, whose best, whose NBA skill is shooting. Like they clearly oh, yeah. have felt they needed a bunch of this, and I think for what this roster is and what they reasonably had available to them, I think they added about as much shooting as as they possibly could in this window. I don't think it was real. Like I don't think there were there were other moves they could have done if they would have like went out and got Uber on day one or day two or done something like that. They they wouldn't have got as much shooting. I think the path they took is about as much shooting as you were going to get on on the budget they had. Yeah, I agree. Like They had to work within the margins and just the reality of the situation and what they have, too. Um, and that's that's the tricky part of things if you're Cleveland, is like you have to work within the margins and realize like you are a top-heavy team that 
is committing a lot of their money to their two smaller ball dominant guards, which have really worked and coalesced well together. And then you have Allen being 20 billion, then Evan Mobley's in the pipeline too. And then cares the Verge's got a bit of a contract extension as well. So you have to work within those margins. And I think a lot of the moves the Cavs made were smart. Like they've, I know Altman said like, Hey, we found guys that wanted to be in Cleveland, but I think the Cavs made it pretty clear. Like, Hey, we need to add shooting. And as you said, Sam Merrill is like their, one of their bigger like not bigger targets but like they made an effort to go sign him like just scoop him up from the charge because like there was no guarantees he was going to stick with the Cavs so like the Cavs went in and got him because he was the best shooter in the G League last year at that time um then you look at Struess who was arguably one of the best shooters in the NBA last season especially in the postseason and the Cavs made the uncomfy decision to move on from Jetty Osmond and Lamar Stevens because like they saw a clear need and that Max Struess dressed and that worked nicely and then like George Niang like he commanded a lot of the mid-level exception but the, he was able to come in because I think he saw maybe there's an opportunity for him to play unlike he wasn't maybe playing consistently under Doc Rivers in the Sixers so that that works too and then like the Ty Jerome signing like, I think is really smart just because it was just a hair over what Golden State was able to afford so the Cavs could have him and like that's a pretty good contract considering like He's younger, he's a combo guard, he provides you basic playmaking, but he provides you shooting, and like that's, that's just the approach, is shooting, 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 and the Cavs sacrificed defense for offense this offseason, um, and I'm still curious to see what they do with these final two roster spots, we'll just say one, and they, we assume they keep one open heading into training camp in the regular season, but there's a lot of avenues they can pursue it, but like the, the Cavs, at least in my eyes, added to a team that had five maybe five and a half because of Isaac Okoro's defensive upside, viable players in the postseason. And they added maybe two to three more guys that could add just a little bit more depth and a little bit more breathing room so it doesn't feel so tight when the playoffs are just, you know, at their highest. The last thing I, I think on this is there is an internal option and we're shooting. That's Darius Garland. I, I Darius Garland, for three of the four years of his career, has had a below-average three-point rate. He's a really good three-point shooter. Uh, he's incredible off the bounce. He's, he's catching shoot guys at 41% last year. He's been 36, 40, 38, 41 um, for every year of his career, mostly on non-corner threes. This is like a very, very good shooter. If he, I don't, I'm not suggesting that he's going to turn the dial up to like maybe like really high, high, high volume. I think his game's a little more attack, feel it out, get, create looks for others. I think there's a lot of value to that and it's needed. But if he got up to, like, even what he was at in his all-star, one all-star season to date, 36% of his shots, like a 3% bump, closer to average. If he gets to the 40% he was at as a rookie, which is right at league average for that year, I, that would also, I think, really alleviate things. And, and whether that's off-ball stuff, whether that's him pulling up more, being a little more aggressive as a scorer, I, th- I think there's meat on that bone that I'm curious to see if there's a, an uptick in Darius Garland's three-point rate that pushes him um, to another level to some degree. Yeah, I, I'm curious as well just to see what is that uptake, what is that growth, what is that change in just development, I guess. Um, and a lot of it last year, as you said, like it, it's Nash-like in the aspect where Garland kind of lets the offense and the scoring opportunities come to him within how the defense is reading and reacting, but he more often than not much rather get his teammates involved and let them create easier opportunities in turn for him because the opposing defenses have to adjust to one Garland's passing and playmaking and two, just what his teammates are doing off of that passing and passing and playmaking. But last year was a figuring out process. You are adding Donovan Mitchell into the offensive fold. 
the fact that Garland more or less had the same averages on different shooting numbers, of course, but had the same averages as his all-star season next to Mitchell does give me a lot of room for encouragement to say like, yeah, there's going to be an opportunity for growth um, when Garland and Mitchell kind of hit that next gear or whatever that may be when they do get to that point. Send there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Darrell. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for his work on production. Back at you tomorrow with more Locked on Caps.